Welcome to the Financial Flossing Podcast with Ross Brannan, guiding dental professionals to a brighter future. Ross Brannan is a financial advisor who knows it's not just about your teeth. He helps dental practice owners protect and maximize today's cash flow to plan for tomorrow's cash needs. Find him at rossbrannan.com. On the show, he brings together experts to help dental professionals looking to make smart money decisions to grow their income, turn their retirement goals into reality, and improve their lives. And now, here's your host, Ross Brannan. Welcome to the show. My guest today is Dr. Mark Cruz. Mark graduated from the UCLA School of Dentistry in 1986 and started his dental journey in Monarch Beach, California. He's a well-known lecturer internationally, has been, and he was a part-time lecturer at UCLA. He has served on the National Institute of Health. He's done grant review committees in Washington, D.C., as well as the editorial board for the journal of Evidence-Based Dental Practice, and is currently serving on the Data Safety Management Board for the National Practice-Based Research Network. I'm cutting out about 80% of his bio. It's so long. But today, we're going to talk about what he's doing with Air Focus Dentistry. This is going to be a very, very exciting conversation. Mark, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ross. I appreciate that. So you have a super long bio. You have more credentials than I can spell or count. So this is exciting. I like talking to people who are always smarter than me. But I really want to talk about this airway focused dentistry because I find this really fascinating and you know, we hear a lot of dentists who do sleep apnea treatment and that thing, that type of stuff, which is needed. But you're taking this to a level that is so much greater than the basic sleep apnea treatment. So kind of like start from the beginning with us on this and how, how this what this is. Yeah, I think what we have to do is kind of step back and understand our training, uh, because it could be confusing if you just try to jump in, you go down a number of different rabbit holes and get lost on this conversation. So I'm going to just kind of step back and say, look, you know, in an allopathic healthcare system that we all work in, it's very symptom driven. The way we're incentivized to treat, even our patients are trained to a great extent, although that's changing, is we're really chasing symptoms, signs and symptoms. We rarely get to root cause or what we call etiology. And so even oral appliance therapy or CPAP, which are the gold standard management, management interventions for someone who has, say, obstructive sleep apnea, it's not treating really the underlying problem. It's just managing it so that you could sleep better. It doesn't even deal with the underlying breathing problem that leads to the sleep apnea. And what do you do during the day? You're not going to be running around during the day wearing one of these appliances, but at least you will be able to sleep. So I I think it's an important piece to have as a part of the management. It's kind of like you prep a tooth and you have a temporary on it, right? But you're not going to finish with the temporary. So I see the oral appliance as a temporary. And then let's now get to the root cause. And I think, you know, why it's important as a dentist is that there is no specialty in healthcare that knows more really about the underlying cause than dentistry even more so than medicine, because largely, and the data, the evidence would support this very strongly, that mostly it's a craniofacial problem. It's a problem. Let me stop you right there. So what about the critics who say, well, this is an ENT area, or this is a pulmonologist area. What is the counter response to that saying, Dennis, you should be working with gums and teeth, leave it to the ENT docs or the pulmonologist? Yeah, so that's part of the problem in an allopathic healthcare system. 
it is very siloed. The body does not work the way the system has been set up. So the cardiologist doesn't really talk to the pulmonologist. It doesn't talk to the urologist. It doesn't talk to the neurologist. It doesn't talk, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The body talks to itself constantly through the autonomic nervous system. Breathing sleep is no, uh, no, no different. So I will argue that the ENT unwittingly, uh, because of the system, will overtreat the wrong problem. So I'll give you a couple of examples. So mostly the problem with disordered sleep has to do with not being able to breathe through the nose very well. And every mammalian species on the planet physiologically can only exchange gas through the nose. So don't confuse a dog panting as gas exchange. That's heat exchange. But every mammalian species has evolved to be able to exchange carbon dioxide for oxygen. Only Homo sapiens, the only mammal that can have what's called oral tidal breathing, where we can actually use our mouth and exchange gas through the oral cavity because we have speech. I could do what I'm doing right now. No other animal has speech. So they have a very different setup neurologically and, and structurally. So let's, let's understand that. But when we look at the nose, we have to be able to breathe through the nose. And most of us now, the last 500 years, good data to show, our faces aren't growing properly. They're too narrow. And so you have a narrow palate. The roof of the nose is the base. Uh, uh, the, the roof of the nose is the base of the, the roof of the mouth is the base of the nose. So if you can't breathe through the nose, yes, an ENT can go in there and do turbinectomies, coblations, septal deviation, surgery, et cetera, et cetera, and it'll help some, or they can remove the tonsils that are enlarged because of the mouth breathing. But the data shows that almost all of them, nine, over 90% of these patients relapse after seven to nine years. The real problem is because there's not enough craniofacial development, if the palate was wider, the base of the nose would be wider. You'd be able to breathe easier through the nose. There's less collapsibility. And so uh, now you're treating the underlying problem versus going in there and doing an invasive procedure to only treat a symptom. So I've, I've read, obviously, about, you know, the um, the palate not being as wide. And, and and there's, you know, I guess, theories out there that it's, it's a, a lot has to do with our diet. What is your take on that? There's no theory. It's very well documented. The medical dental anthropologists have been talking about this for decades. And only recently is healthcare starting to understand this. In fact, there are multi-specialty groups called DOHAD, Developmental Origins of Health and Disease, that meet every other year all over the globe. Researchers, providers looking at the origins of disease and, and health. So they've been talking about this. In fact, there is a book written by Robert Corcini for orthodontists to really look at how, in it, from an evolutionary point of uh, perspective, in, in a relatively short period of time, a nanosecond, our craniofacial structures have changed dramatically from how we used to live, how we evolved for hundreds of thousands of years, certainly tens of thousands of years, 70,000 plus years. In the Paleolithic period, as hunters and gatherers, we would spend seven to nine hours a day chewing muscle pull that grew our faces. But then when we started controlling our food supply, we started eating more refined, highly caloric food, spending less time chewing, so there's less muscle pull. So and ended up having a growth pattern that's called adenoid facies, as an example, 
instead of growing downward and forward, it was just more vertical, narrow that results in dental crowding, right? Okay, so dental crowding is not a tooth problem, although it's treated as a tooth problem. It's really an orthopedic craniofacial problem. The solution is actually expanding or fostering good growth. And why that's so important is when you do that and improves the breathing, uh, the, uh, or the breathing tube, the, uh, if you will, the pharynx. The airway is the keystone for facial, facial growth and development. So it's not a theory. In fact, um, I'm right now in the midst with uh, two colleagues. We've actually looked at hundreds of skulls from the early medieval period from the London Museum, from these cemeteries that have been given permission through these uh, anthropologists that have documented very precisely the width of the palate, the width of the mandible, uh, the length of the palate, all these measurements that we're measuring now and comparing to our contemporary populations, it's not even close. Wow. Like what are the, what's the size difference typically? So for example, you know, I was looking at, and I've got a spreadsheet, the last 250 to 300 females from this period, early medieval period, which is about the inflection point that there was a big change, a big inflection and change at around the industrial revolution. And that's its own discussion. But the minimum intermolar width for females was around 50 millimeters. What? Yes. You don't find NFL players nowadays that have that intermolar width. And isn't it interesting that obstructive sleep apnea is super uh, prevalent in the NFL for a number of reasons, concussions, one of them. But, you know, they're specimens physically, but they're still a shadow of their ancestors. So that's just one example. The angle of the uh, of the jawline, high angle. The fashion industry has known about this for a long time. They've written about it, how the high angle collar is to hide the high angle, which doesn't look so attractive. That profile is kind of backwards. Facial hair, you know, there are all these things that we've done to kind of cover up. We don't have that strong jawline, straight profile, high cheekbones that actually portends to health, actually is allows us to breathe better, ironically, because form follows function. We've just kind of slowly uh, become sicker and sicker and not quite as attractive. So back to the uh, the orthodontics and the mouth crowding, how much, well, and so it would seem based on what I've read, because I read a book about this, so I, I know enough to be dangerous, not enough, not, not, not enough to have a conversation with you. But it would seem that from what I read, the Western world physicians don't typically don't see a difference between mouth breathing and nose breathing, whereas the ancient cultures, whether it's Native American, whether it's the ancient Hebrews, whether it's Asians, they saw a lot of they, they they knew there was a difference between mouth breathing and, and nose breathing. And what I've read is that since we're mostly mouth breathers, and ever since I read that book, I started sleeping with mouth tape, and it actually has helped a ton. Does that, does mouth breathing pay, play a role in the, the crowding of the teeth? A hundred percent. So let's just first say that if you go back to a literature over a hundred years, it was very clear that there was an understanding that we needed to breathe through our noses. But slowly, because of this healthcare system that's become more and more hyper-specialized, I always joke how it's incentivizing to become more and more specialized. So we learn more and more about less and less till we know nothing, right? We, we kind of lose our way at the global view of our patients. 
that, you know, we just really don't understand. But I'll just cite a study from about three years ago, systematic review coming out of Europe from the pediatrician community looking at mouth breathing in children. Um, one of the conclusions was that a child at mouth breathes is a red flag for growth retardation. And when you say, well, how are those dots connected? Uh, we're not, not supposed to breathe through our mouth uh, because you're obviating the effect of nitric oxide. It's less efficient. And you have to ask the question, why are you breathing through the mouth? Because the first three months of life, a baby can only breathe through the nose. Think about it. A baby properly in nature going back as long as we know uh, was able to latch onto mom and was feeding at the same time that they were breathing through the nose. So if you're feeding, you can't, you're not breathing through the mouth, right? That can only happen for the three first three months of, uh, of the mouth, uh, the first three months postnatal. Uh, but it starts changing after that. And I won't get into the phenomena as to why that is. But when you start mouth breathing, it is a cascade that changes how our faces grow. They become longer and more retrusive. Our tongue is supposed to be on the roof of the mouth, sealing off the mouth, breathing through the nose. And that breathing through the nose, that resistance that goes through the nose actually stimulates mid-face growth. If you're breathing through the mouth, you're not getting that optimal growth in the mid-face. So this is a huge discussion we talk about in our courses so you understand. But the de- evidence is there. We know what it's supposed to be. But again, you know, the average physician, even pediatricians don't even think about asking about sleep. That third of our life that nature has provided for us would, you know, nature would not provide a third of our life in our existence in the form of sleep unless it was super important. And the fact that you don't really understand it doesn't change the fact that it's super important. Uh, and we could get into that whole, what happens during sleep, metabolic regulation, regulation of the sex hormones, growth hormone, cardiovascular health and well-being, neurologic health. These are all things that when you're snoring, snoring should never happen. In fact, there is a well-known historian attorney who wrote about this, and he wrote a book where he studied the native Indians, um, at the turn of the century, his name was Caitlin. And he wrote about, and they called Europeans black mouths. So this is kind of interesting, black mouths because their mouths were open. Whereas all the Indians, the natives, only breathe through the nose. And think about it. If you're back in the day and you're snoring out in the woods, that's the dinner bell for bears, right? No animal is making that much noise. And or the enemy tribe that could sneak up at you at night. So everything has to be really, really quiet. That's the way we evolved. But the fact that we snore, we say, oh, it's okay, he's sleeping great. So there's been a loss of understanding and information. Healthcare has not really done a good job until more recently we're starting to, like you said, you know, Jim Nestor wrote that book that from a lay person's point of view is kind of raising awareness on the importance of proper breathing. It's the most important physiologic function from the first breath to the last breath and nothing is more important than that yeah to our listeners the book is called breath by james nestor it it, it is a fascinating book it obviously doesn't go near to the depth of what dr cruz does but so you would suggest that the dental the dental community has a responsibility to be pioneers because they're the first person in the mouth and quite frankly the the, the healthcare industry is dropping the ball on this well, no, no question about it. So, you know, some years ago when Christian Cumino, who 
has now passed away, was one of the giants in medicine, sleep medicine, that established the specialty of sleep medicine out of Stanford. John Remmers, uh, back east, there, there are three or four of these guys that got together that uh, that started this this specialty. And so I'd been flying up to uh, Stanford uh, to be kind of a fly in the wall during Grand Rounds. I was very interested as a dentist in this. And so he and I started talking. He's one, one of the uh, Grand Rounds uh, case reviews. He pulled me aside and we started talking, got to know each other, pulled me into his office. And we started talking about functional aspects of the function of the tongue and how the face grows craniofacially. He actually asked me uh, subsequently to speak to his faculty and fellows in the SEED program on these concepts of craniofacial growth and development, which is happy to do. And we started uh, looking at and designing some clinical studies that we wanted to look at. And the reason why I'm bringing this up, because you said very specifically said, you know, it is your profession, dentists and specifically orthodontists, that should be really treating this from the very beginning and not sleep medicine. By the time they got, we get involved, it's already too late. See, it, to me, I, the attitude that a lot of dentists have, in my, from my perspective, they feel like it's gimmicky. They feel like the sleep treatment is gimmicky. It's just another revenue source and um, it doesn't really do a whole lot. That's the attitude you get. And then you have, you got obviously people who are full believers and then you people, but most people, when they're doing it, they're only doing some sort of, um, you know, device in the mouth. They're not going anywhere to the degree that you're doing. So do you come across some people who feel like it's gimmicky as well? Oh, not at all. Right now, all the thought leaders in dentistry are all in. They were before. When I was uh, talking about this 15 years ago, that's exactly what it was. And that's where sleep dentistry was really um, taking hold. But again, I was never interested in that. And and it's it's not gimmicky. And you know what? I would think the same thing, too, if all I knew is what I knew. So that's what it is. When you start understanding deeper, and let's just go back to what we as dentists, what is our responsibility? It goes beyond the teeth, the gums, and the joints. It's the craniofacial structures. And, and when you start seeing that dental crowding is not a dental problem, it's an orthopedic problem, although it's treated as a cosmetic dental problem. There's not enough room. You you straighten the teeth out. It's not stable, and it's it's a it's an industry that for decades has pretty much been what it's been about. In fact, so much so that the public now doesn't even need the orthodontist or the provider. They can go do it themselves, but it's very unstable. Let's go back to what is this mid face all about? The maxilla. It's really important, and that's our responsibility. Clenching and grinding and joint problems are secondary. They're symptoms of this problem and we should be treating root cause. And so, no, it's not a gimmick. Well, yeah, I don't think it is either. I just, that some people kind of have that attitude. They just, but I guess if you kind of live in your world, if you only know what you know, you don't know anything else and you're not going deeper. Now, is it true that mouth breathing increases cavities? Well, of course it does because one of the things that it does is it dries out the mouth. So it obviates the benefit of the saliva in self-cleansing the mouth right? It's multifactorial. There are many, many uh, factors. You know, if you have a caries bacterial flora that's infectious, that's one factor. And then you add more fuel to the fire, if you will, by mouth breathing. It is a risk factor. So if you're a dentist and you're listening to this right now, and, you know, maybe you've heard of sleep dentistry, but you didn't know anything about it, and you're hearing, they're hearing you, 
but this is new to their world and their their interest is peaked, what would you recommend a practicing dentist or orthodontist do to begin implementing things, treatments to help their patients? Well, I would say, first of all, it's understand what you do as a dentist. It's not just about the teeth. In fact, the teeth, as trained as I am in ethology and occlusion, treating occlusion and, and, and the joints, stepping back down, that's like the window dressing in a big remodel project. <clears throat> Think about treating and moving the, the walls of the room out with a skeletal expansion and clear aligners to create more space and set the teeth up ideally for implant site development for uh, restore restorations that's more stable it's healthier looks better and um in the end is less expensive for the patient than continuing to treat um you know the teeth so i think you know there are uh feel free to uh, email me there i mean i'm i'm not on this podcast to really solicit the courses that i teach but there, you do need to become educated beyond just treating with appliances. Uh, well, I mean, I don't, have a, I, I don't have a problem soliciting the courses you teach. doesn't bother me a bit. But like the website, airwayfocusdentistry.com, what can people... Well, actually, it's, it's, actually it's airwaycollaborative.com. Okay. Airwaycollaborative.com. And that's where they can learn more about this. If they want, they can sign up for courses to learn more. But And this yeah. is not a weekend seminar type thing. This no. is like, this is, this is deep continual learning for, for long periods of time. Yeah, no question. And my experience has been through the years is when providers go through it, a number of things happen. First they go, oh my God, I cannot believe I did not know this because it's intuitive. You already know. And it's very evidence-based. We cite over 70 medical and dental references to support the concept. So this is very science-based, it's not gimmicky, uh, but you start understanding what your role is so that the physicians, you you take your proper proper place. I work with physicians, get a lot of referrals from physicians. A lot of my patients are physicians that come in and go, well, I was never told anything about this. And so now they're starting to understand, you know, what we as dentists can do beyond just straightening teeth. Also think about most of the time, orthodontics is retractive in nature, takes away tongue space. We need to go the opposite direction. You need to learn how to do that with clear aligners. So just because you do clear aligners to straighten teeth out, you may be actually making the patient sicker. So you kind of have to understand these concepts. Also, even with adults, palatal expanding, a surgical and non-surgical uh, skeletal expansion. So there are a lot of tools in the tool belt that we as dentists have to treat our patients way beyond just the teeth. So think about treating the patient attached to the teeth rather than just treating the teeth attached to the patients. And patients love it. Now, are dental schools starting to teach this at all? Yeah, more and more. I've had a few deans actually up through the years call me and say, hey, can I send faculty to your program? Uh, there's now a friend and past dean that just stepped down from Texas. Uh, Larry Walensky is the first dean that actually implemented a sleep dentistry uh, curriculum at uh, University of Texas, Baylor, Texas A&M, they're, they're a consortium. So he has that vision. Case Western, uh, the new school here in California, Promona, talked to that dean. So yes, they're looking and seeing, hey, this is really important. And it all is integrated. And that's part of it. It requires a team approach. It can't be one person doing it. 
you you work with the ENT, the orthodontist, the prosthodontist, or the restorative dentist, periodontist, et cetera. There's a lot that we could do for our patients that medicine cannot do. I always say medicine can and must treat or manage the sleep problem, but only dentistry can cure it. So we have to work together. Medicine and dentistry have to work hand in hand in a non-siloed relationship. Wow. So you obviously work with a lot of physicians. Are you finding physicians as open to this as dentists are? Yeah, a- absolutely. Um, so I work with uh, Uma Katwa, who's the head of the pediatric sleep lab at Harvard. He's all over this. And Dr. David Huzal, who is the physician-in-chief at Columbia in Missouri and physician-in-chief of the hospital there, he's underscored the importance of the role between dentists and physicians. Of course, I mentioned Dr. Guimano, uh, Dr. Stephen Park at NYU is a sleep ENT as well, works a lot with, uh, with, with dentists. So there are a lot of uh, thought leaders in medicine that are all over it. Now, just like in dentistry, you have physicians who aren't as educated that don't know, but more and more are starting to understand. But the average primary care physician is really uh, about treating signs and symptoms. They don't even know um, how to really manage the sleep problem other than maybe send somebody for a sleep study. And it's usually late in in the game, although they're getting better and better at it. And I, I don't think it's anyone's fault. It's just the way the healthcare system has been set up and monetized. There's a lot of money in treating signs and symptoms and this work requires a lot more patient engagement and communication. So it's more top heavy in that regard, but well, it's much more rewarding. It's much more profitable and easier just to give somebody a pill. Exactly. Exactly. And when you look on TV and see that, oh, they just invented a, invented a disease and here's a pill for it with a fancy name, just call yes. your doctor. It's like, oh, okay. But, you know, that gets a little conspiratorial, but it, I, don't, I don't know that it is. <laughs> Well, I think it's unwitting. It's just the way the system has been set up. We could go back and look at the history of how it's changed. I've done that, how it started changing. But it's interesting, the FDA just approved a device called Respirate. You can Google it. And it's basically a biofeedback uh, device that helps you learn how to breathe to lower your blood pressure. So it's a non-drug approach to lowering, uh, to, to addressing hypertension. It's just about breathing. Well, guess what? What we do in airway focused dentistry is exactly that. It's repattern, repatterning how we breathe, looking at structure, function, and behavior. And those are some of the three pillars that we talk about in our curriculum, how you treatment plan and treatment sequence for the patient, looking at those three areas. Okay, so if people wanna, wanna learn more, what's the website again? You could go to uh, airway, collaborative.com or you can go also mark a cruise dds.com and email me i'm happy to point you into any of a number of uh, resources for sure and that's mark cruise with a k m-a-r-k-c-r-u-z at mark a cruise dds.com that's my email yes, yes exactly perfect well mark this has been a fascinating conversation and i'm glad i read that book and i'm glad i interviewed you because it's it's very informative and enlightening it, it it's just when you think about it, it's really mind-blowing that 
we've been so ignorant to this thing. But this has been a fascinating conversation. I really appreciate your time today. Well, thank you, uh, Ross. One last thing I may say to kind of We'll put everything in a quick perspective. If you go onto my website, I think it's on the landing page. There are a couple of videos, short videos for consumer level to take a very complex topic and distill it down to just a couple of minutes. One is about an 11 minute interview by, by Dr. Stephen Park that explains a whole paradigm. And another one's about a three minute uh, sketch on what the actual problem is for consumer levels to understand what that nature of the problem is. And of course, I've got a video library, probably a couple hundred videos from a lot of different thought leaders, a lot of different people that address different aspects of it. So I always say, first get educated, and then you'll see it just makes so much sense. And then just you're on your way, you're on your path. So I'm I'm happy that you gave me the opportunity to, um, to share even an this moment to um, really open some eyes and, and awareness to help our patients better. Yeah. So thank you so much. This has been enlightening. I really appreciate your time. Thank you, Ross. All the best. You've been listening to the Financial Flossing Podcast with Ross Brennan. This has been another episode of Financial Flossing with Ross Brannan, guiding dental professionals to a brighter future. If you liked what you heard, consider subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts. For more on Ross Brannan, visit rossbrannan.com. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Guest speakers and the firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by Paz, Guardian, or North Florida Financial, and opinions stated are their own. Ross is a registered representative and financial advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, Paz, OSJ, 3664, Coolidge Court, Tallahassee, Florida, 32311, 850-562-9075. Security products and advisory services offered through Paz. Member FINRA. SIPC, financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America. Guardian, New York, New York, PAS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. North Florida Financial is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PAS or Guardian. Arkansas Insurance License Number 16139032. California Insurance License Number 0L100732022-147481. Expires 12-24. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. Dot com.